Good morning, Forest Baptist and all its viewers. We uh, greet you in the name of Jesus and just are very happy and pleased that God has provided this way for us to join in fellowship and worship this morning. Um, God is truly good despite any circumstance. He is good during a time of crisis and he's, a, he's good during a time of peace. And this today will be our call to worship and our call to worship will be coming from Psalms 8. Psalms 8. And it reads, O Lord, our, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established a strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hand you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Will you bow with me in a word of prayer? O oh Lord, our God, our provider, our sustainer, and our healer, how excellent, Lord, is your name in all the earth, Lord. You are majestic, Lord God. You are God. You are in control, Lord God. You are wonderful, God. You are our peace in the time of storm, Lord God. You are our healer in the time of sickness, Lord God. You are our doctor in a sick bed. You are our lawyer in the courtroom, Lord God. You are our all in all, Lord God. The Bible says that you are Alpha and Omega, Lord God. You are the beginning and the end. You have the final say-so in every situation, Lord God, and we come to Together today, Lord God, just to worship your holy and your matchless name, Lord God. We give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise this morning, Lord God. We thank you for our health and our strength, Lord God. We thank you for your, your power and your uh, sovereignty, Lord God, in our lives, Lord. We thank you for life. We thank you for your will, Lord God, your perfect will in our lives. We thank you for the ability to worship your name, Lord God, whether it be in a sanctuary, Lord God, or whether it be in our living rooms or our bedrooms, Lord God. We thank you right now, Lord God, for one more opportunity to worship and praise your holy name, Lord God. We thank you. And Lord God, we just come right now, Lord God, praying, Lord God, lifting up that person that may be lonely right now, Lord God, or may be longing for fellowship, Lord God. We, we just invite you right now, Lord God, to praise and worship the name of the, the of your name, Lord God. Whether it be wherever we are, Lord God, we just thank you right now for the opportunity to raise holy hands, Lord God, 
to lift our voices, Lord God, to, to bow in prayer, Lord. And we just thank you, Lord God, for the means and the opportunity to praise and worship your name. Right now, Lord God, we just, we, we lift you up, Lord God. Our minds are on you, Lord God. Our mind is on your goodness, Lord God. And right now, we just pray for the man of God who will bring your word this morning, Lord God. Bless him. Bless his voice, Lord God. Bless whoever may hear the word today, Lord God, that, that they may see you more clear, Lord God, that, that they may trust in you a little bit more, Lord God, through these uncertain times, Lord. We just thank you for your comforting word, Lord God. May we find comfort nowhere else. Lord God, just bless this worship session, Lord God. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen.
selections uh, at this time we just want to enter into prayer for Forest Baptist for the situation we want to bring everything to the feet of Jesus in this moment if you would just bow with me our father we come to you Lord God as your children Lord we come to you as humbly as we know how Lord God to, to lift up the situation, Lord God, to pour out our hearts to you right now, Lord God. 
right now, Lord God, we just want to say thank you in the midst of our trouble, Lord God, in the midst of our storms, Lord God, in the midst of this uncertain time, Lord God, we just say thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy, Lord God, that comforts us even through this time, Lord God. We, we just want to say thank you right now, Master. Thank you for your, for your steadfast love that upholds us, Lord God. We know for sure that you are in control. Thank you, Lord God, and we just want to lift up our healthcare workers, Lord. We want to lift up our elderly before you right now, Lord God. We want to lift up those who may be in the nursing home, Lord. Those teachers who may be off of their job, those students, Lord. We want to lift up parents. We want to lift up our bereaved families at this moment, Lord God. Bless them, Lord God. Touch them only in the way that you know how, Lord. Comfort them and give them peace right now. We want to lift up those who may be feeling lonely with this social distancing, Lord God. We just want you to touch them, Lord God. We right now, Lord God, have two options. We can believe the world, Lord God, or we can believe your word. And right now, we choose to believe your word, Lord God. In the book of Isaiah, you says, do not be, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Lord God, and we believe you right now today, Lord God, that you will be with us in times of trouble, Lord God. You will be with us in times of uncertainty. Pastor reminded us in Psalms 46.1 that you are our refuge and our strength. You are ever-present help in time of trouble, and we choose to believe you today, Lord God. We know that you are in control. We know that you can change situations, Lord God. You can change hearts. You can deliver, Lord God, that you, you have done it before, Lord God, and we know that you will do it again, Lord. And right now, Lord God, we just give you the praise and the honor right now before, before you deliver us from this situation, Lord God. It's nobody but you, Lord God. It's not the measures that have been put in place, Lord God. It's not because we're so great of leaders. We're, we're, thank you right now, Lord God, that we're not sick. And it's not because we're so healthy, Lord God. It's not because we're so good. It's because you protect your people, Lord God. You you are in control of this thing, Lord, and we recognize you, Lord God. We acknowledge your power, Lord God. We acknowledge your goodness, Lord God, that we're not on our sick beds. We acknowledge right now, Lord God, that no matter what our situation, Lord God, that you have the final say-so. And we just want to remember that, Lord God. We want, to, we want to give you the glory, Lord God. We want to be your servants, Lord God, not only in good times, Lord God, not only when things are going well, not only when the sun is shining, Lord God, but when it's raining, Lord God, we want to be salt and we want to be light for you, Lord God. We want to be courageous Christians, even in the time of crisis, Lord. And we thank you, Lord God, for your word. We thank you for the fellowship of believers. We thank you for even this means of hearing your word, Lord God, that, that we can be encouraged to live for you and that you are in control and that we don't have to worry, Lord God, because you, you sustain us. You provide for us. And we thank you, Lord God, right now. And it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen.
My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is seeking sin. We thought we had everything going well. But the Lord in his providence, he's able to, even just through a virus, bring the entire world to his knees. May we be reminded that we aren't as strong as we think we are. We aren't as tough as we think we are. And we are in constant 
need of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So before I start this morning's sermon, I just want to relay a, a, a few announcements to you. So this, this doesn't go towards my sermon time, but, but I just want to give you some announcements. But indeed, uh, be on the lookout for our congregational communications. We have a number of ways to communicate with you to let you know what's going on, uh, to help you to uh, know when we'll be broadcasting, know when it's safe to come on back, and just know what's going on within the body of Christ. Uh, so continue just to look at our website at www.fbcnewberg.org, and you can get updates there as well as our Facebook page. I'm grateful for the many of you who are joining us via Facebook Live even right now. Uh, but one other way we have to communicate is a new software that we have here called Flocknote. And with that, we're able to send a text out to, uh, uh, to all of our congregation, whether it's text, whether it's email, or even, uh, even sometimes a, a robocall to, so you can know what's going on. So we want to make sure that you're connected. And be mindful, if you get a robocall, it is coming from an 817 number, so it may look like it's out of town. It's not a bill collector, but so you can go ahead and pick up the phone to, so you will know what's going on in the congregation. I want us to try to get... One thing I'm really excited about this week, we're going to try to uh, launch a new daily Bible study, uh, Washing in the Word, a 15-minute devotional Bible study starting this Tuesday at uh, 11 a.m. We're going to record at 11 a.m., and then prayerfully we'll be able to post that by 12. So whether you are uh, at, at lunch or whether you're at home, you'll be able to join the community of believers here at Forest as we just wash ourselves in the Word, and we're just going to look at a, a passage of Scripture, and we're going to walk through it using our soap. When we look at the Scripture, we observe it, and we apply it, and then we pray through it. So this week, I'll, I'll be sending out the link for that. You can join us on uh, the live Bible study, or it'll be recorded, and we'll put it up on our Facebook page as well. I also want to encourage you to continue to be faithful in your giving. As we all are facing uh, hard and, and challenging and, and troubling times, know that the uh, Forest Baptist Church, we are entirely supported through the tithes and offering of the church. And we want to, and as you give, we're able to be a blessing to other people who are in need. So as, as the Lord gives unto us, we are able to be of assistance to everyone else who may, who may be in a challenging situation right now. So with that said, also, if you are in need of any type of assistance, in need of groceries, uh, call us at the church, uh, area code 502-454-0189, and let us know if you need any help. We, we want to make sure we're especially sensitive 
to our seniors and those with those underlying health conditions that should not go out but are in need of supplies. Also, this time of year, we would normally be entering into our corporate fast, our 21 days before Easter. This year, uh, I just want to point out, if, if as a church, we won't be doing it corporately, but I want to encourage you uh, to use these next 21 days to, to be prayerful to the Lord about what's going on in our country, what's going on in our families, those who have been affected by this pandemic, and just some of the chaos that we see going on. So you can definitely be in prayer on these 21 days leading up to Easter. And then lastly, continue to be in prayer for one another, your family, friends, and loved ones. Be in prayer for the city. Be in prayer for the state, this nation, our governmental leaders, and this world as we cope with this, this uh, pandemic. Amen? All right, those are our announcements. So let us dig in to God's Word together. If you would, turn with me to Matthew, the seventh chapter. Matthew the 7th chapter, as we were turning back to our series, going through the gospel of Matthew. Matthew the 7th chapter, beginning with verse 1, we'll read to verse 6. And as we remind ourselves each and every week, this is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Matthew, the seventh chapter, beginning with verse 1. The word of God reads, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. And the Lord had a blessing for the reading of his word. And if you're at home, you are standing up, you may be seated. I just want to place a tag on this text before us today. The danger of a self-righteous judge. The danger of a self-righteous judge. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Oh, gracious Father, we do humbly approach a mighty throne of grace, acknowledging your power, your preeminence, your goodness, your mercy, your faithfulness, how you are near to us, how you have kept us, your protection and your provision. We acknowledge you as creator and sustainer of all things, Lord. For from you and through you and to you are all things. And Father, right now, we just say thank you for another day. Thank you for another opportunity to worship you, O oh God. And though we may not be the church gathered this morning, we are still the church scattered wherever we may be. And we're the church scattered all because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Not because we come to one central location, but because your Holy Spirit has been distributed to those who have called upon the name of Jesus. And for that, we just say thank you, O oh God. And Father, as, as we are, are gathered in worship, I ask that, that your Holy Spirit would do something mighty, something incredible, that though we are in our homes worshiping, that we will have a passion, a zeal, and an excitement for you even this morning, dear God. Father, I ask that you will meet us where we are. 
Though we may be separated, we're united by the fellowship that we have. And I ask, oh God, that you would, no matter where we are, open up our eyes to your word. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your word with joy and gladness. Father, I ask that you would take my weak and foolish words and give me humility knowing that it is you who's speaking, Lord. And as we wage warfare against Satan and his minions right now, I ask that you would tear down every stronghold, every yoke in the name of Jesus that someone would be delivered through this word this morning. Father, may you be lifted up and you alone, that men, women, boys, and girls will come running, asking what must we do to be saved. We do love you and thank you. In Jesus' precious holy name we do pray. Amen. So, within American culture, fads move so fast and things come and things go, and at the close of last year, we seen an explosion of what may be called the cancel culture. And as a matter of fact, in 2019, it was reported as the year of the cancel culture. You know what cancel culture is. Uh, canceling and cancel culture, they have to do with the removing of support for public figures in response to their objectionable behavior or opinions. This can include boycotts or refusal to promote their work. So we've seen a number of celebrities, a number of businesses make decisions that were offensive or they did things that, that, that brought shame and people began to cancel them. They stopped supporting them. They stopped paying attention to them. They uh, mobilized people to stand against them. That, that is the cancel culture that I'm, I'm talking about. But it's not just public figures. Some of us have even experienced some cancel culture. All it takes is for one person to, to uh, accuse you or all it takes is for you to do something that's filmed and, and, and in a matter of moments you begin to get canceled in the media, on, on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, whatever, and then people begin to come out against you. How many times have we told someone, oh, I'm tired of you. you, you're canceled. We have this cancel culture that is so quick to condemn, even if we don't know the whole story. Now, sometimes it is, it is necessary, but sometimes it isn't. But thinking about America's cancel culture has me to think about another culture. Because if we're honest, before there was ever social media, before there's any hurt unleashed via Facebook, Twitter, or TikTok. There is a particular hurt unleashed upon the world by way of Christian culture. Christians don't always have a great reputation regarding personal engagement. Now, a lot of this is certainly unwarranted because in a world filled with subjective truth, where people says your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. If we claim to know an absolute truth because of the word of God, people are offended by the truth of scripture. And many people don't want to acknowledge God as their Lord and Savior and Master. So people will call us um, harsh or judgmental when we are trying to have that standard that God has set and how we should live our lives. But sometimes this is certainly warranted. 
And it's warranted when we engage people and we receive that, that fundamental, legalistic, unforgiving, judgmental, and uh, that critical culture that, that really hurts, that, that each of us are, are, are reminded of. Each time we walk into a church, sometimes people have done things that have hurt us. And we do it in the name of keeping it real. We put that mask on and we say things like, I just like to keep it real or I just want to be truthful, knowing that deep down that we're, we're really doing it for our own pleasure, hurting people. You know, this harshness is, is sin and it's the sin of self-righteousness. As a matter of fact, the danger in a self-righteous judge is that they drive people away from the fellowship of believers. A self-righteous judge is someone who disrupts the the unity of the saints because they seek to esteem themselves over the others they come in contact with. Here in the text, we're reminded in the Sermon on the Mount just who Jesus is talking to and what he's been talking about. He's been contrasting the, the kingdom citizenship with the earthly citizenship lived by the scribes and the Pharisees. These religious leaders, they sat in judgment over the people, giving out orders and edicts on how the people should live. But these edicts and these decrees weren't based upon the word of God. These decrees were based upon their own sense of righteousness, their own standard of religious expression. They wanted the people to worship how, how they worship, not how God wanted them to worship. They wanted to have control over their, their lives. But beloved, what Jesus is teaching us in the scriptures is that he wants us to know that there should be a distinct difference between his people and the religious self-righteous. Disciples of Jesus should be delightful and not distasteful. I be, the big idea of the text before us is simply disciples of Jesus are marked by humble self-awareness, not hypocritical self-righteousness. I'll say that again. Disciples of Jesus are marked by humble self-awareness, not hypocritical self-righteousness. Look here in the text in verses 1 and 2. Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, this is one of the most discussed texts that we come in contact with. There's there's been so much conversation surrounding this passage of Scripture. Uh, Surrounding this Scripture, we've heard comments like, only God can judge me. We've heard expressions like, just don't judge me. Or... What I hear a whole lot of lately, just worry about yourself. This is one of the most misinterpreted scriptures by both unbelievers and believers. The unbeliever uh, believes that no one should be able to critique or to correct them because they're just doing what they want to do. But on on the opposite end of it, the the believer thinks that we can just say anything, any way, and hide behind. Well, it's not really saying I can't judge you. But what is Jesus really saying right here? 
In verses 1 and 2, Jesus teaches that Christians should not sit in the seat of ultimate judgment. Christians should not sit in the seat of ultimate judgment. What, what, is, what does this even mean? See, much of the meaning uh, of this pericope lies in understanding the context in which Jesus is using the term judge. This word here uh, in our English language, judge, has a lot of nuances. It has different meanings. Uh, one meaning of judge is just an ordinary evaluation where you're just deciding between X, Y, and Z, or uh, what do you think about this, and you choose. That's, that's just ordinary evaluation. Uh, judging could be judicial litigations, where you may have to go to a court of law, and you're looking for a verdict on whether the plaintiff or the defendant will win the argument, the litigation. Uh, to judge may be... In in terms of the bestowal of a reward, you have been judged faithful, so you now receive a reward. But also, this judge is the declaration and the pronouncement of guilt upon an individual. But understand, when we're looking at this text, what Jesus is not saying, Jesus is not saying that Christians are not to make judgments at all. Notice here... In verses 15 and 16 of the seventh chapter, Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? So Jesus, he's not saying don't 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 be able to make a determination, a discernment of an individual from their actions. Also, we look at Matthew, the 18th chapter, when it comes to the church rendering a verdict on on based upon a person's external behavior, uh, if if they are functioning like a Christian. Matthew, the 18th chapter, beginning with verse 15, says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask. It will be done for them by my father in heaven for where two or three are gathered in my name. There am I among them. Jesus is not saying the Christian is not able to make wise, discerning judgments. This is something completely different. What Jesus is talking about, the word here means it is a a technical legal decision. But specifically and and more generally, it 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 means the, the forming judgments and reaching conclusions about things and people. So the problem Jesus is pointing out here is when a Christian reaches a conclusion about a person based upon their own standard of righteousness, where where you're casting your decision on who a person is based upon your own feelings and your own understanding, not by the word of God. This is the judging that Jesus is talking about. 
Something simple may be like you, you feel that a person should, should offer their best to God. And that means on, on Sunday morning, you should wear your very best. You should come into a church with your suit and with your tie or with your, your nice dress or your nice hat. And anyone who doesn't do it is, is obviously in the wrong. That's being judgmental. Because that's extra biblical. The only place that we see that someone's mandate, uh, their clothing is mandated for worship is the priest as he, as he goes into the temple. We should dress with modesty. We should be honorable. But your best may not be someone else's best. And they may actually have on their best. And we can, go, we can blow right past that. And invite hurt upon that person just because of what we think best is. Or what about that single mother with four children and one on the way? We can easily cast judgment on her. We can reach a conclusion as the type of person she is. But, but maybe you didn't know that, that one of the members just witnessed to her. And, and she just confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And now she's trying to be obedient to what thus says the Lord. Or maybe the Lord is just rescuing her from a... A wilderness period. Or what about the guy who is not hyper masculine? He's hey, so what he might not be able to hunt and, and to take care of deer or 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 to fix things all over the house. And, and, and we can mock this person because you think you have your own ideal of what masculinity looks like. Or what about the teenager that comes into the church in this fitted cap sagging his skinny jeans? And before we even say hello to them, we come telling them about the rules and what they need to do in order to come and be like one of us. You know, what Jesus is pointing out is this word, censoriousness. Censoriousness. This, this, this word, it, it, it jumped out as I was doing my study. And what this word means, it means to be severely critical fault-finding, censoriousness. The person who is censorious is the person who thinks that they are the gatekeeper of righteousness. This person is a self-righteous know-it-all. It needs to be their way or, or, or no way, my way or the highway. This is why Jesus says in verse 2, for with the, what you pronounce, the measure you use will be measured back to you. The, the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. The, the, they're casting this type of standard and they're reaching conclusions about people who aren't able to live up to that standard. Jesus is talking about a hypercriticalness born out of one's own standard of righteousness as opposed to God's standard of righteousness. Remember, <clears throat> in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is walking through what it really looks like to be a kingdom citizen, what it really means to be righteous. And he's laying out for us this understanding of what it means to be a, 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 a faithful Christian. And it does not mean coming up with your own standards on how everyone should live. Because God is the ultimate judge. See, this, this is the type of judgment 
we can pass on people when we don't know somebody's story. When you don't care about somebody's story. These are the type of judgments that can happen when we're not being sympathetic and empathetic and walking in humility as Jesus Christ calls us to walk in humility. But understand what Jesus says. This same type of hypercriticalness that you use to judge other people. That same critique will be used to measure you. And understand, beloved, of all people, of all people in the world, shouldn't Christians be merciful to others because we ourselves have received mercy? Shouldn't we give someone the benefit of the doubt because when it comes to us and our sin, Jesus came and rescued us and we expect others to give us the benefit of the doubt? Beloved, the the seat of judgment belongs to God. It doesn't belong to us at all. Look with me now in verses three through five. Verse three. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the law that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What is Jesus getting at here? The point Jesus is making here is that Christian hypocrisy is rooted in double standards. Christian hypocrisy is rooted in double standards. Jesus, he he uses this figure of speech uh, uh, hyperbole, uh, this this obvious and intentional exaggeration to show just how wrong the Pharisees were in their double standards. Just how wrong we are in our double standards. And Jesus, the the carpenter, he brings out these the use of wood, the the use of the speck and the log to help us understand just how foolish it is sometimes for us to point out someone else's sin when we're not even aware of our own sin. He says it's two things. Why are you worried about the speck in your brother's eye? When you got a log in your own eye, Jesus is talking about a speck, like a toothpick, like a piece of uh, shaved wood, sawdust. This little thing in comparison to this huge two by four, this huge log that is in your own eye, this big thing. Why are you worried about the little things in everybody else's life and you ain't dealing with the big things in your own life? Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that you have such a lack of awareness when you judge someone else because you're you're looking across the table at something small. But for the Pharisees, they actually have something big in their own lives. The scribes and the Pharisees, they they were good at setting up these double standards of righteousness. In Matthew, the 23rd chapter, verses 23 and 24, it reads, woe to you. scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, same term, for you tithe 
mint, and dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. See, Jesus is pointing out that they're, they're taking care of the things that they think are important, but they're ignoring the things that he decides has, been, decided has, uh, has much weight that are more important. And then verse 24 says, you blind guys, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Jesus is saying that there is a, a, a thread of religiosity that you're worried about everybody else's small sins. And you're not even dealing with the big sins that's in your own life. Beloved, religion blinds. If you just come to church out of tradition, if you just come and do the things that everyone else is doing, if you just come because you're good at good at being a Christian, that that's religion. Ask yourself this morning, is is your Christianity marked by a spirit of perfection? Are you always worried about what folks ought to do? And if they don't do it. You, you, you cast them aside or, or you talk about them because they didn't do what you thought they should do. While, while there's, no, there's no instruction manual that say they, they should have did that anyway. You upset because they sitting in front of the church and you think they should be sitting in the back of the church. What they ought to do. Or maybe that Christian stumbles And you're on their head because you think they should be perfect. Is your Christianity marked by a spirit of perfection? But ask yourself this also. Is your Christianity marked by private mercy and public justice? Brother McGee talked about this a few weeks ago. Do do you give yourself the benefit of the doubt and you don't give it to anybody else? When, when you do something wrong, when, when you cuss somebody out, you, you tell yourself, but they deserved it. They was getting on my nerves. I, I got to my last straw. Don't they understand that they were, they were bothering me, but let somebody else cuss you out. And it's the wrong thing. You, you calling the church, pastor, we need to have intervention. You reporting them to, to, to your boss. You, you, you going, you're going wild all because you expect them to live by a standard you don't even live by yourself is your Christianity marked by private mercy and public justice beloved ultimately this self-righteousness this is a gospel issue this this is a failure to understand and recognize who Jesus is and what he has already accomplished. This is a failure to to hold on to Jesus above everything else. Instead of holding on to Jesus, you're holding on to to insecurity. So because you're insecure, because you're fearful, and and you don't want anyone to find out who you really are, you, you attack and you claw and you put expectations on everyone else so they don't have enough time to react towards you. And they can't figure out who you really are. You're holding on to your insecurity more than you're holding on to Jesus. 
Instead of holding on to Jesus, you're holding on to your pride. You think everybody should know what you know. You think you know it all. Are you that person that can't nobody tell nothing? Then this is you. You're holding on to to your ability, your smarts and your wisdom rather than holding on to Jesus. And when you hold on to, to your pride, then you put these false expectations on people and you condemn them because they don't know what you know. Or maybe instead of holding on to Jesus, you're just holding on to this world. You're more concerned about what everybody else thinks about you than what Jesus has already declared who you are. You get that? It's not Jesus acknowledging your identity. It's not because you've done anything that Jesus can say you're righteous. You're righteous because Jesus shed his blood for you and he declared to tell us that it is finished. We don't have to wait for anyone else to validate us because Jesus has already validated us in the death, validated us in the death, burial, resurrection, and his ascension. We have been validated. So because Christ has already validated us, we don't have to, to, to pick and to, to nip and to point and to bite other people in our midst. We can be satisfied that just as Jesus was working in our lives, transforming us from the inside out, he will be working in their lives. Because this is the same Jesus that promised he who began to go work will complete it. He's going to make sure He does what he needs to do in your life. Stop holding on to insecurity. Stop holding on to pride. Stop holding on to this world and beating up and condemning one another. Start holding on to Jesus that you may be set free. Beloved, self-righteousness is basically the result of, of, of theological deficiency. Just like you may have a calcium deficiency or iron deficiency and you begin to take vitamins to to take care of that. When you are self-righteous, you have a theological deficiency. You don't understand who God really is and you don't understand what Jesus has really accomplished. And you don't understand that it was Jesus that rescued you. It was Jesus that saved you and you didn't do it yourself. And that is by his grace and by his mercy that you are who you are right now. It's because of the blood of Jesus that that washed you, that grabbed you and brought you out. When you understand that, then we don't have to be self-righteous. Let me deal with verse 6. Verse 6 seems peculiar. It seems like it doesn't fit. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they Trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. That's, 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 a, that's a weird text, isn't it? Here, there, there's a number of, of uh, discussions or conversations or, or interpretations of what this means. But I believe that Jesus is he's teaching his disciples that Christians should use good judgment when engaging those hostile towards the gospel. Christians should use good judgment when engaging those hostile to the gospel. See, as we engage this culture, we must be both harmless but wise. 
And there will be times when we'll need to make the judgment to move on with the gospel. See here in the text, he talks about dogs and pigs and this ancient Near Eastern culture, both dogs and pigs were unclean. This, this wasn't like your, your cute little dog that, that, that's sitting on your lap, is on your bed right now. It's talking about wild dogs who were roam the streets scavenging for food. This, th- these weren't those little cute pigs that people are trying to have for pets these days. These are the, the big hogs that was in the slop that would just eat anything thrown to them. He's talking about dogs and pigs, but that they, they, they were used as metaphors for those outside the covenant community of Israel. Gentiles, those who weren't followers of the way. And then Jesus says, don't throw what is holy and don't give them pearls. He's, he's talking about the, the good news of Jesus Christ, the message of salvation. So what is Jesus doing? He's saying that those uh, hostile to the gospel will miss their opportunity because of their hostility. Those hostile to the gospel, they, these are the people that want to argue facts or argue from fiction. They're unreasonable. They, they are offensive. These are the type of people that Jesus talks about when he sends out the 70 in, in Luke the 10th chapter. The disciples' response to those who are hostile to our mission may be to move on. In Luke 10, Jesus, he talks about when you go into the city and they don't, and if they don't receive you, then you will dust off your feet and walk out of that city. This, this is what Jesus is talking about, those who are hostile, those who are constantly rejecting the good news of Christ. He says, you, you can move on. Because he also said, there's some in the city that I want to save. Just as we would use appropriate judgment for those we call friends, Christians must use appropriate wisdom with those who who would be called foes. You can't force the kingdom upon those who won't accept it. Let me finish with a, a couple of points of application. How, how can we apply this text to our life? How do we pursue self-awareness and not self-righteousness? Well, namely, we need to start beginning uh, uh, to begin to hope the best in others. First Corinthians 13 talks about you love hopes the best. S- stop taking people's responses, their looks, their words as something that is negative right away. Give that person the benefit of the doubt because basically when, when something happens and you see it and you take it the wrong way, what, what you're basically saying is that person's world uh, revolves around me. And, and if, I did, if I did something right, I made their day. If I did something wrong, they're having a bad day. So I should actually care about that. No. Who are you? Hope the best. Stop thinking bad about everything. But then secondly, you need to be a repenter. I need to be a repenter. Someone who is just used to saying I'm sorry. 
First John 1 and 8 says, if we say that we are without sin, you lie. But how many of us actually get up and say, sorry, Lord, for the sins that we've committed? Are you a repenter? You should be continually confessing your sin. Thirdly, Christians can be courageous enough to invite critique into your life because we all have blind spots to sin. What does that mean? That, that means don't think too highly of yourself than you ought to. That means every one of us has, has blind spots that we don't see, and the community of Christ should have access to say, you're wrong here, and this is how you should change. But if you're the person who's always defensive, can't nobody tell you nothing without you giving an excuse, giving an answer, and giving a reason back. If, if you're that type of person, then, 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 then you're, you could be judgmental. See, this ain't bad, preaching with nobody here. I ain't got to worry about nobody getting me. What does Psalm 139, 23, and 24 say? Search me. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked ways within me and lead me to your way everlasting. Every single Christian needs to do some personal examination. If you've been listening to this sermon and you've only been thinking about who should be hearing this sermon, then you're not doing self-examination. Don't think too highly of yourself. We need one another in order to grow in Christ. And then lastly, some of us just need to stop and listen. Close your mouth and open your ears to what Jesus wants to say to you. In James, the first chapter, we know the text. It says... Know this, my beloved brothers, brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Do you always have to make your case? Do you always have to defend yourself? Then you are the, a, a prime candidate. For being self-righteous. Beloved, like I said, the danger of, of being a self-righteous judge is a gospel issue. The message, the gospel message provides us with a sense of self-awareness that produces and sustains a humility within our hearts. See, the gospel reminds us that we have all been self-righteous and are still uh, self-righteous in many ways. The gospel reveals that in us. But then the gospel also reminds us that though we are self-righteous, Jesus was self-aware. 
Because in Mark, the 10th chapter and the 45th verse, it says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus already knew that his blood would be shed, that he would be hung high, that he would be stretched wide, that he would be pierced in the side, that he would be buried in a borrowed man's tomb. Also, he can save self-righteous, prideful folks like me and you. He was already aware what his purpose was. And the gospel reminds us that Jesus has come to set those captives to self-righteousness free. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Because of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we can be set free from our self-righteousness. So today, we look to Jesus for help. Lord, help me to recognize the areas in my life where I have been judgmental. Those blind areas where I, I just didn't recognize them. Help, help me to see my own sin, Jesus. But then we also look to Jesus for hope. We say, Lord, I, I'm so thankful that if I confess my sins, you are faithful and just to forgive me my sins. And that you allow me to repent not only vertically, but horizontally. And that you aren't done with me yet. We look to Jesus for help. We look to Jesus for hope. And we look to Jesus for heaven. We look to Jesus knowing that all of this life will end one day. But we will have a home in glory. Because of the shed blood of Christ, paying the penalty for our sin, dying the death that we deserve, that we may live through him. Beloved, disciples of Jesus are marked by humble awareness and not by hypocritical self-righteousness. Let us pray. Lord God, you are extraordinary, good, and faithful. And I just thank you that though we are scattered, your spirit still unites us. And I pray, oh God, that we will hear what you are saying, that Christians, we don't sit in a seat of judgment, that, that seat is reserved only for you, that ultimate condemnation. Father, we recognize that hypocrisy is rooted in double standards. And we recognize that Sometimes we just have to pass over those hostile to the gospel in order that the good news will reach someone else's ears. But Father, I just thank you for your word and the power of it. Please ask the church, ask your people, bring within us a sense of deep humility right now that we can be a little less self-righteous and a little more self-aware. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege and for the opportunity. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. When the gospel goes forth, there's always the question, how should you respond today? How, how do you need to respond today?
Do you need to respond by looking to Jesus for help, hope, and heaven today? Because there's never been a moment where you've actually trusted Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You've just been doing this church thing. Then right where you are, you can pray a prayer like this. Lord, please forgive me for my sins. Please forgive me for being disobedient to your will. Please come into my life and save me that I may live for you. You may pray something like that or or maybe you need to repent because you you are critical. You are nitpicky. You do expect perfection. Then praise God that we can come before the throne of grace boldly and confess our sins. And not only that, we can confess our sins one to another that we may be healed. How should you respond today? Is there someone you need to call to apologize to? Is there some relationship that you need to make right? But but we need to respond in some way. Maybe we just respond in prayer that, Lord, thank you for keeping me from this particular sin lately. But help me to remain faithful. How should you respond today? As we prepare to dismiss from this place, but never the presence of God, just want to be remindful to just want to remind you to stay connected to one another through phone calls, through texts. For those amongst us, amongst us who are in need, check on one another, bring groceries, bring supplies, drop things off. Uh, Uber eat somebody something, but make sure you're staying connected some way. Continue to check our website and our Facebook page for updated information. We'll continue to send out text messages and communications from the church to make sure everyone is good. But know that we love you. If no one said they love you this week to you, I love you and we love you. And we pray that the Lord will keep you in the midst of all of this. And as we, as we close, continue in worship through the giving of your tithes and offering online, or you can drop things off by the church between 8 and 3. But as we come together, we'll be able to serve one another even more. Now to him who's able to keep you from stumbling. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. And all the God's people said together, amen. God bless Forest Baptist Church.